This is a HeadGum Podcast. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, halflings. <laughs> oh. It's me, Jeremy Cobb, but... Andrew V. calls me Jeremy Not Renner Cobb, because they already call their other friend Jer Bear, and the only other Jeremy on their radar was Hawkeye. So, you know, and Andrew V. also sent us a super nice message on Patreon, so shout out to them for that. Thank you, Andrew V. Thank you, Andrew. And I am joined yeah. today by... Uh, hello, hi. Uh, my name is Olivia Kennedy, but you can call me Liv. Uh, hi. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, Jeremy. Today, <laughs> uh, yeah. Today's episode... <laughs> Is, is a little bit of a serious one, uh, or, I, or it's actually a very serious one, because we are talking about something that is very important uh, and has affected this community more so than anything in a good long time. Yep. Uh, if you thought the Hadozi was a big deal, <laughs> oh, good Lord. Um, we're here talking about the OGL. Yeah. Uh, in this episode, we will be in very shortly uh, interviewing Mr. Kyle Brink, uh, who is the D and D. Let me see the D and D team's executive producer. That's his official title. Um, it's uh, it's yeah. We are here. He's he's here to talk about the OGL. Yep. He has said that he, nothing is off the table in terms of questions. Liv, how you feel about this? Uh, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be great. I think we should dive straight in because we know the people are waiting for it. We are here with. Kyle Brink, D&D team's executive producer. Kyle, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, my first question is, in your own words, why are you here? <laughs> uh, because what's happened in our community has affected uh, creators and the community first and hardest. So that's where I needed to go first. Okay. Um, well, I guess on the subject of things uh, affecting the community, well, uh, this entire conversation is obviously in the wake of the OGL controversy. So uh, my first question would be, why is it that uh, management feels the need to change the OGL in the first place, or at least felt the need to change the OGL in the first place? Yeah, uh, so we still have a lot of real concerns about um, big media corps moving into the D&D space, um, new technologies that weren't considered when the OGL was first written, um, the emergence of some hateful content that's coming around out there. Uh, when you have a bigger community, you have a bigger duty. Uh, and uh, we're just worried about the impact of some of these things. And that was mm -hmm. the origin. I will say that um, I've been at Wizards for a couple of years now, and this was in process when I got here. So these concerns have mm -hmm. been a concern at Wizards for a long time. Uh, and uh, I was part of the team that picked up the ball and, and continued forward with it. Um, but that was the, those are the motivations behind it is, is worries mm -hmm. about, and when I say big media corps, I don't mean wizards big. I mean like meta big, I mean like Disney big, that's the kind of stuff we were actually worried about. Mm -hmm. So specifically, 
basically uh, like in what way were you worried about a, a, a company like Disney it, mm-hmm. me, like somehow interfering with D&D? So under the uh, OGO 108 is written, you know, there's quite a bit of things you could do with the SRD. And um, just as a for instance, this wasn't a specific concern, but you asked for an example. Uh, let's mm-hmm. say that you were a large um, social media company that had built an amazing social media platform. And then you would use those dollars to make um, a virtual reality metaverse, you might say. Let's say you were some unnamed mm-hmm. company that had done all those things. And then you decided to make a uh, D&D virtual reality space where people could come and play D&D in VR. Well, mm-hmm. as written, we wouldn't be there at the table to talk with them about what's true to D&D and what's not. Um, and we mm-hmm. would be very concerned about where a company like that, that has not had a great track record, honestly, with how it manages its community and what it allows people to do on its platforms, what they would do with D&D. Um, and so we were looking for ways to be at the table when those conversations take place. Even aside from that, though, when it was released, uh, it obviously there were the 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 reach, uh, the potential reach of the OGL stretched far beyond anything like a megacorp like Disney. Can you provide an overview of the decision making process that went into the original wording that was uh, leaked? Yeah. So the the things that were in one point one in that was a terrible way to approach the goals we had in mind, uh, which is why it was mm-hmm. such an easy, so it was easy for us to do a U-turn and abandon those right away because it was one of those things where um, piece by piece, it seems like you're making a good decision and then you end up in a terrible place. Uh, and uh, we're grateful to all the feedback that was so strong and so clear that allowed us to uh, see for ourselves where we had gotten ourselves to. Uh, the because the mission was never about hurting the community the second the community was hurt we dropped it like a hot rock because we didn't want that wasn't our mission um i you know the the people ask why are royalties in there well that's the idea was if you're a giant corporation that would be a huge deterrent to you and the thinking was you can see in the the numbers that were in there that there was supposed to be this area where it didn't matter where if you were a small creator it would be fine that's all by the Mm -hmm. wayside though it's very clear that that all that stuff in there was a huge problem for creators. So we just, we dropped it and left because that's not what we're there for. Okay. So you're saying that like over the course of the years that you guys spent developing the document, you lost sight of the overall scope of what, who it might affect. I would say it's more that we, um, we lost sight. I would say we lost sight of the impact uh, of what the impact could be on the people we weren't concerned about. You know, our focus was so much on who we were concerned about. Uh, that we lost sight of who we were not concerned about, who we wanted to thrive, who we wanted to help. And so we accidentally, as collateral damage, really, really uh, did it a lot, would have. Fortunately, it was never published and never will be published. But that document would clearly have done a lot of harm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have anybody in place to oversee this before it was scheduled to be released? We had a number of people in the room. Uh, my team was, uh, in, and this is, this is my fault, was underrepresented. I was trying to protect the team from distractions like discussing a licensing agreement so we can make the game, so we can make cool supplements and books. Uh, and I should have had more of my team in the room, and that's being corrected going forward. Uh, this might be something that we'll get onto later, but um, there have been rumors going around in the community that 
um, a meeting took place between Wizards of the Coast and a number of like large D&D and TTRPG creators where Wizards of the Coast told them that there would be plans for the new OGL and allowed some of them to do the opt-in for like better deals in terms of the monetization of like um, their uh, actual play shows or whatever shows they're producing. Um, and it was also confirmed by John Ritter of Kickstarter. Like, did can you tell us, did this meeting occur? Who was present and what kind of deals were offered or discussed? Uh, I wasn't present for any meeting like that. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, uh, well, for this conversation, I, mm-hmm. I make the game. So there are things that I'm not part of. Um, and mm-hmm. so that would have been another set of people at Wizards having those conversations. So I can't speak to firsthand knowledge of this, just to set that table. Um, I was aware that we were speaking to creators because we wanted input. We were doing staged feedback where we talked to some of the largest creators first to get their feedback and then moving forward, moving forward. And we were going to bring it to the community for their feedback as well, stage-wise, so that by the time we brought it to the community, it would hopefully be in a better state than it was. Uh, And some of those conversations, I I wasn't in those conversations, but I could see how some of those conversations might have been about would you know what would a better deal look like um but uh, again i wasn't there so i can't speak to those specifics i could certainly see how conversations like that could be seen as a big meeting offering sweetheart deals but uh, once again I, I wasn't present i do know that we were talking to creators ahead of time and we were soliciting their input on what a better deal would look like did anybody internally at wizards then later inform you of who these people were that were being spoken to uh and perhaps what the specifics of any of those because you're aware that they did happen yeah. uh do, has anyone since said who they were meeting with and what kinds of terms were discussed i know uh i know who we were meeting with because we talked about hey who should we be reaching out to who should we talk to first about this who are the people who are having the biggest impact in the space and would therefore have the best perspective on all this um and so you know people like Kickstarter and and some of the larger creators, you know, yes, I, I'm aware of, you know, who we talked to first, the priority order in which we were talking to people, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know beyond that, like the specifics of of the the conversations that they had. It, what would come back to the the room that I was in was general like feedback that we were getting on, hey, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, so we would know what to do to fix it. By the time um, the 1.1 uh, uh, version of the document was made public, we had already abandoned a lot of the things were problematic because of the feedback we were getting. We just hadn't published that update yet. So nobody could see it. That's partly mm-hmm. why 1.2 is so quick to come out after 1.1 because we'd already been heading in that direction based on what we we're hearing. Um, okay. Well, on the subject, uh, I, I guess p- put a pin on the subject of who was spoken to for a second, mm-hmm. but you mentioned uh, the quickness, the swiftness of the, of the response. Speaking as somebody who was watching the situation as it unfolded, it actually seemed like there was quite a long delay Mm. between the initial uh, leaking and the response uh, of over a week. So my question is, if in fact the OGL 1.2 was already in progress of being developed, why did it why was there such a long delay for any kind of communication uh, from Wizards or D&D? Yeah, this was a thing that got me personally involved more. I mean, I was part of the group, but this is, you know, as you saw very quickly afterwards, I became um, very personally involved in the in the uh, response cycle because it was killing me that it was taking so long. Uh, and it was, uh, I described it as a long delay built out of many small good decisions. Um, we were working on this document. We thought, you know what? At this point, people need to see action. They don't need to see words. So let's give them the new version. Okay, well, let's make sure this is the version we were on release. Okay, well, I have one edit to make here. I got one tweak to make here. I got one. And there's you have enough stakeholders, each wanting to make it a little bit better that perfect got in the way of good. Perfect got in the way of done. 
And so that the silence was because we didn't want to just say words at a time when words weren't going to cut it. And mm. the thing to release took too long to perfect that it just, it compounded into the silence. At no time did anyone say, you know what we should do? Let's not say anything for a week and a half. Like that decision was never made. It's what occurred because of all the small decisions we were making minute by minute, day by day, because we're also watching what people were saying in the community. And we would see a new uh, concern arise. We go, oh, we have to make sure to address that in this too. All right, let's make sure to build that in. And so you just get caught in this infinite loop of iteration and you can never publish because you're not quite ready yet. You're still not quite ready. You're still not quite ready yet. It's, mm -hmm. um, it was, it was a terrible situation to be in. Did no one at any point during that period, seeing the public outcry that was getting worse and worse, suggest even saying anything to the, even saying, Hey, we are actively working on this. This was any sort of announcement essentially. Yes. Yes. Why, why did nothing happen? Because it's one thing yeah. to be like, Oh, we, we were delaying the, the big announcement. And I guess to fully and elucidate that point, uh, there have been reports from people internally from secret sources, uh, who apparently are verified, uh, employees of Dungeons and Dragons, which of the coast who have said that there, the delay was because, uh, they, that management was essentially waiting to see how much of a financial impact this was actually going going to have mm -hmm. and whether no. or not the whole thing was going to blow up. No, that was not the reason for the delay. It did it did definitely um, seem like that just because it seemed as though from a creator perspective and a fan perspective that nothing actually changed until the decline in D&D beyond subscriptions. Like that can't be a coincidence, surely. Well, it, it also can uh, because it takes a long time to actually modify a legal document when you have a lot of stakeholders. It, you can't turn on a dime. And so it, can't, it actually couldn't have been turned around in response to the decline in subscriptions because that would have been too fast. It would have been too short a time period for a corporation our size to pull that off with a legal document with a bunch of stakeholders. Um, and so we were already working on that document before the, uh, uh, the um, uh, folks who decided to stop uh, subscribing decided to stop doing that. It's uh, the main reason that we weren't ready. It, the re, the, sorry, I want to get to your, uh, Jeremy, I want to get to your first question about, um, did, they, did no one say we should say something? Yes, yes, we did. However, in that environment where there was already such a lack of trust and already such concern over our motives, every word we knew would be scrutinized and could be radioactive. And there was honestly a fear of making it worse. Honestly, a fear of saying the wrong thing and throwing gas on the fire. I mean, it was bad um you're kind of you know we we felt like we were screwed if we spoke and we were screwed if we were silent and so we figured the best thing we could do is just deliver here give you a thing mm -hmm. that was better um and in hindsight obviously that wasn't the right decision but that's that was the mindset at the time was we needed to simply show you what we meant by giving you something better um, rather than try to say oh we're working on it because we felt like in that environment that was as likely to make it worse as better I guess what well, when that response eventually occurred, you're saying that there was a lot of uh, thought and preparation put in and that any words that you said uh, yeah. could backfire enormously. Prior to this conversation, I Googled the phrase. I didn't even type it. Really. I just typed the words onto Google. I typed the words they won and then put a space. And the third suggested result without having pressed enter was they won and so did we. In light of the response to that, and uh, I guess my question is, if if in fact there was so much work being put into that initial response, uh, how did we end up with what we got? Like, who wrote that and uh, who signed off on that? I, uh, I honestly don't know. 
Um, everything I signed, by the way, I wrote. So if my name's on it, mm -hmm. I typed the words. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't take input while I was typing, but every word, if I put my name on it, I wrote it. Um, and I honestly don't know who contributed to the unsigned statement before I started posting. The thing that I was working on was the deliverable 1.2, the actual thing, um, and the process mm -hmm. for how we were going to move forward from this and, you know, bringing the, the feedback process and the playtest process to the table to get the community involved as soon as possible. That was what I was working on, uh, for all this. I, I, I the, the statement that came out on the Friday, um, I read it around the same time you did. How did you feel when you when you read that? What did you think of it? <laughs> I was not pleased with what we had posted. Um, I you know this is this is one of the things that inspired me to take a personal uh, to put myself into this by name and take ownership of this because I that was not acceptable for me. That's not us. That's not who we should be. Um, and I felt like this this needed to you know be less of a committee thing and. Uh, more of a more of a D and D thing. Um, well, it, there were other aside from just that specific phrasing, there were other issues that folks had flagged up. Yeah. Uh, the biggest of which is that the leaked uh, version of the OGL that people saw was always intended to be a draft, and that Wizards of the Coast had always intended to ask for community feedback. Can you speak to why? If this was the case, that the leaked OGL included a place to actually sign it, that it included, as I understand it, mention of specific dates as to when things would go into effect, dates that had already passed by the time that the, I think by the, around the time that Wizards even responded, and uh, not only that, but why, if this was explicitly a draft, why a simple, like, even if... Uh, why it could not have been released immediately, a statement immediately saying uh, this is just a draft. What you are all seeing is not at all representative of what we had planned. Uh, we are currently working on it and maybe set a due date, any sort because that could have fit under the, the, mm. the banner of communication. Uh, so just to reiterate, um, why? Uh, why was the OGL uh, worded the way it was, including having places to sign and specific dates specified? And why then, if that is the case, did Wizards of the Coast say nothing? Because I, I personally find that very difficult to believe, mm. uh, given the apparent progress that had already been made to the OGL 1.2. So uh, every document that isn't published is to some extent, a draft, right? Until it's published, then that's the final version. So when, I'm, when we're making a book, for example, we have draft versions of the books that don't get published because we're making changes, and those are all drafts until they're published. And with a legal document, it looks every bit like the final one because any version could be the final one, but isn't until it's final and published. One one was never final, was never published. It did contain the things that it would need when it would eventually be published, such as dates, which were changed as we continued to edit the document, and places to sign because ultimately there would be a need for people to agree to it. Um, and so those, those things are all present in a final document. They are also present in, present in a draft because a draft, if approved, if everybody likes it, becomes the final. And so that's, I mean, that's, it's, to me, it's maybe, I don't know, it seems a little bit um, like a weird thing to get hung up on because of how drafts work, but I'm in the book business, so I see drafts all the time. So maybe that's why I see it that way. In light yeah. of the fact that it was apparently a draft, why was there no response? Well, I think that gets back to the conversation we were just having earlier about um, what was hanging up our responses. Um, the the immediate reaction, the strength of the reaction, uh, caused people to be concerned about 
anything we said being credible or not, or adding fuel to the fire or making it worse. Uh, and I think that caused some hesitation. Do you think that the hesitation paid off, given what happened when it was originally released? In hindsight, I would have much preferred to take a much more active communication stance on that uh, and to be much more responsive and to, and to you know, get the conversation going um, much sooner and much more um, responsively than we were. And yeah, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, at the time, as it was unfolding, it was a combination of is is this as bad as it's going to get? Or is it going to get worse? Will we make it worse if we talk? Will we not? Will we make it better if we talk? It was it was a, a tough spot um, because we care so much about the community and everybody who was being hurt by this, and at the same time, so we were like, how do we make this? better is it better if we say something is better if we don't say something let's just deliver it. let's just give them the the new one that's not that doesn't have all these things in it that they're worried about which you know in hindsight is maybe not the right thing would it be fair to say then uh that at the very least there may have been too many uh well i guess you've already i guess the better question is were there dissenting voices about the uh the ogl one point, uh, I guess the one point one, yeah. Prior to the leaks, yes, uh, which you indicated that there were, yeah. um, were those voices from within Wizards of the Coast or without Wizards of the Coast or both? Both for sure, both. Um, and in in any large group of people, in order to get something done, you have a vigorous debate, and then at some point you reach a point of commitment as a group. And if you know, if for example, I still disagree at that point. My job is to say, okay, I disagree and I'm committing because we need to move forward. And that doesn't mean I stopped disagreeing, but it does mean that we are going to proceed and I will do the best I can to deliver this thing that we've decided to deliver. And I, and the, I think the, the flaw there was that the dissenting voices were not given enough of a microphone, were not given enough of mm -hmm. a presence in the room, uh, were not given enough weight to change the decision, but they were certainly present. We certainly heard them. We certainly had a debate going on, both from our internal and our external feedback. And as I said, we were already changing the document when it leaked. So the feedback mm -hmm. was moving the it was moving the ball. It was moving the needle. And then the document became published or public. I should I should say it was never published. Um, became public while we were still moving it forward based on that input input. And that input was very strong from the folks who, who voiced it. Um, you know, there's people on my team whose opinion I respect very much who were quite against it. Uh, and it, you know, moving, moving the opinion of large groups, unfortunately is not a fast thing. Um, and it just, it took us a while to move it. And in the meantime, uh, it went public. Does that mean that the mm -hmm. dissenting voices were the minority in wizards at the time? So the majority of, 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 Everyone was pro. Well, we didn't with what was happening. I mean, we didn't we didn't poll everybody, of course. Um, so I would say that uh, the the each person had a different perspective. So there might be people who are mostly focused on protecting our IP, um, and there might be people who are mostly focused on, hey, I came from the third party creator community. I'm going to go back to it when my job here is done. I need to make sure that that's still a healthy community. This is bad. You can't do this. And and different. You know, so different people come at it from different perspectives. Hey, it's my job. I'm in legal. I'm supposed to give us all the tools we can we have as an organization to protect us. Okay, so I'm going to give you the strongest language I can. So everybody had their point of view at the table that was legitimate and was coming from a good place. Uh, and so your question of was it a minority? I would say it wasn't loud enough in the room, and that's what's changing. Is we're giving much more of a voice to the folks on my team, myself included, who mm. are closer to the community and would be able to catch this kind of thing 
in future and have enough volume to prevent it. Uh, and how are you uh, enacting that? Like, how are you giving them a voice? Well, it's a couple things. First of all, by moving everything into the Creative Commons, we've just taken this whole discussion off the table. I mean, that's a one-way door. We can't unring that bell. So there's no, there's no taking back the SRD and the openness of D&D. It's out there. It's done. So this literal example can never happen again because we can't. We, we didn't even decide to do it with language. We just did it mechanically. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to take our word for it. That's just how the license works. Um, and so this particular problem literally can't happen again. Um, now, should we in future be looking at corporate strategies, company strategies that would impact the D&D community? Now, folks like me and, my, uh, and the leaders of my creative team are in the, are in the conversation. So. Mm-hmm. So you've essentially been given authority to be able to influence these decisions is what you're saying? You and your team yeah, have I would, been given a greater authority in order to influence these decisions? I would say greater respect um, because authority for each decision needs to rest with a different person depending on what kind of decision we're making. Uh, that being said, uh, being heard and being respected is important. Uh, and I will say um, to, to her credit, I know she's gotten a lot of um, you know, bad uh, she, the, the, Cynthia has gotten a lot of, um, you know, negative opinion about her, but she listens and she does change based on information. And she's one of the most empathetic C-suite people I've ever worked with, uh, by a country mile. So, um, I am confident that when she says she's going to listen, she's going to listen. Okay. Um, before I move on to a topic that, uh, you, uh, actually just started to touch on, I did want to ask, can you give specifics on who was being met with beforehand? Uh, before, like, uh, I, cause I'd put a pin in that jumping back to the pin and pulling yeah. it out. Uh, can you give specifics <laughs> on who those meetings were taking, like who those meetings were with, uh, I, any of them? Um, I don't have that list in front of me of, of exactly who we were talking to, but it, it you know, the, it's the, the biggest creators out there. Uh, I know that was one of the criteria was like, what's, what's their audience size? You know, uh, I mean, we, we spoke to Paizo, we spoke to Kobold, we, you know, spoke to critical role. I mean, and each conversation was different. It was because each creator is different. Each person's each, each group's thing that they create is different. And so it's not like everybody got the same conversation because not everybody was in the same place or had the same questions. Uh, so, there were, I mean, it, but it was like that. It was like, okay, who are the ones that are the top publishers out there who are who are have large audiences that they're serving? Because those are the ones who are going to really have the best sense of what's right. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I want to touch on what you mentioned when uh, you were talking about how the you were acknowledging how the the Creative Commons now covers all of the SRD five point one. Uh, here's my question: Is it the intention of Wizards of the Coast to add one D and D content? to this srd we are well i mean 1dnd isn't finished right now so i can't really tell you what all the content is yet because we haven't finished writing it uh but -hmm. i will say that but uh, like is it the intention to add the content yeah the intention is that um all of the new rules updates that we're doing um including the stuff we're publishing in 2024 that's being called 1dnd right now uh all of that will remain the srd will be updated to remain compatible with all of that now, exactly how that compatibility is maintained is something that I'm going to leave up to Jeremy Crawford and the, Crawford and the rules designers. Maybe it's we, we put the exact rules language into the SRD. Maybe it's we do some bridging language. Like, for example, the 
new rules update will refer to species, not race. Well, so the SRD still uses race. So we might put some language in there that says, hey, where you see the word race, use the word species. And you know, that's what I mean by bridging language. It's to connect the dots for how stuff works in SRD versus how it'll work in the rules update. But it'll be some combination of those things. The one thing I can guarantee right now is it'll be 100% compatible. Anything you build with the SRD will work with the new rules. Okay. Uh, is there Are there plans to potentially introduce a new OGL that is specific to one D and D. I don't think so. I don't see the value in it. If you know the, I mean, Creative Commons is such a great open license. I think if uh, you know it, at, at such time as we decided to um, put more stuff out into the uh, out into the public space, we'd do it through probably Creative Commons. I think uh, you know the. I'm, I've no interest in getting into the OGL business. I'd rather be in the D&D business. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's, uh, just to be clear, there's no plans for a, one D&D essentially becoming like a closed system no. where it's like, well, uh, everything that was five, uh, five, fifth edition and everything prior is now covered by that. We're cutting that free. Y'all can have it and we're building our own thing. And this is our new venture. No, no, there are no, no we, plans for that. Yeah, we don't even think of it as a different edition. Um, we think of it as an evolution of fifth edition. Um, that's why we call one D and D instead of putting a number on it. Um, we don't, I mean, people like to call it sixth edition. They're going to call it another edition. They might even call it 5.5. I don't know. Cause it feels a little bit more like what happened as three got evolved into 3.5. But really what we're doing is we think fifth edition is great and we think it could be better. We think it could play faster. It could play easier. It could provide more room for role play. So there's stuff like that that we want to do to improve it, but we're not trying to replace it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so at the beginning of this, we talked about how the, the, o, the new OGL was designed in order to try and combat like big corporations, uh, big media corporations specifically, or new various new technologies. Um, mm -hmm. And that this has been planned for a while. Well, obviously, since the new OGL is no longer happening, mm -hmm. what plans does Wizards then have to try and address those issues? We're leaning hard on the community, honestly. Um, we looked at it and said, all right, there's, I mean, there's some things that um, one can do through Creative Commons. Like uh, we can say, hey, you can't, you, you need to pull our attribution, you know, so you can't like put D&D, the name D&D &D on it or whatever. So there's some small things we can do that might discourage some bad actors. But really mm -hmm. um, what we're counting on, especially for things like the hateful content stuff that we were worried about, we're counting on the community um, because, you know, it's uh, demonstrated, it's been demonstrated time and time again, not least of which just now, that this is a strong and vocal and active community. Uh, and so rather than counting on a legal document to give us personally the room to act, we're going to be counting a lot on the strength of the community and supporting the actions of the community to combat things that try to come in and take over the space or try to scam people um, you know, through NFTs or whatever. I feel pretty confident that uh, this community is going to catch on to that and make noise. And we would rather be with you uh, making that noise against something bad than, uh, than trying to put it in a legal document. So I know that there were a number of concerns uh, with the, uh, the OGL, I think even the OGL 1.2 that had been proposed, that uh, there were provisions in there that talked about uh, potentially, uh, I guess, shutting down a, uh, a project if it does not align with Wizards' values. Mm -hmm. uh, the concern by much of the community, I mean, many of our, some of our show members, as many, many of our fans fit into uh, numerous minority groups, 
there has been a fear raised that if hypothetically there was turnover at Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. and I say a heavily conservative leadership took over uh, and suddenly say pro LGBTQ plus content is now considered harmful and offensive. Uh is that a is is the kind of action that was proposed in the OGL 1.2 still a possibility? Is that still something that Wizards is looking towards having that sort of authority? Uh, and if so, what protections are being put in place to prevent something like that happening? That's a similar response to the what about uh, outside actors and, and new technologies coming in and making a mess. Um, the community is, are the ones who tell us when we publish something hateful or racist so that we can take action on it. And we expect that they will tell other people the same thing. Um, and so we're going to count on that community and support that community in in helping all content creators to keep the game ever more inclusive, ever more open, ever more welcoming. So we won't be doing it through legal language. We'll be doing it by supporting the voices who are calling out for mm-hmm. improved inclusivity and improved openness. Um, we're working on a content policy because people asked, hey, what what do you even consider hateful? So we feel like we should publish something that says what we consider hateful and something that is adaptable and something that can grow with time as society wakes up and opens its eyes. Uh, and that will only apply to us, of course, because we don't, you know, we're not, we're, we don't have a legal structure in place to apply to anybody else. But we feel like you should know what our standards are. And we feel like you should be able to participate in helping us improve our standards. So we're working mm-hmm. on a content policy to, to open the doors on that some. Um, but that, you know, those two things together are, are how I'd answer your question. We're counting on the community and we're going to show you where our head's at on all this. I think counting on the community is, is definitely, you know, all well and good. You know, feedback is great, but is there any kind of intent to, you know, reflect on these things before they are put out to the community so that the community doesn't have to kind of be relied on um, for this information? Are you going to have maybe like community leaders who can like take a look over things? Like, for example, you had... um, the what was the the monkey race that was in oh, the, one of the, the Hadosi, yeah the Hadosi, yeah mm-hmm. like you know stuff like that is, is there going to be somebody there who can just like point things out that may get kind of like overlooked like mm-hmm. without it getting to the community point and then everything blows up yeah yeah so for our own for the things that we publish um i mean we can't really exercise oversight over anybody else we we just got to keep an eye on our house um and so for the things that we publish we have a thorough uh, inclusion review process right now where we have uh external uh inclusion reviewers um inclusivity reviewers uh, multiple two or three usually look over every word that we publish give us a complete report on the things that we need to take action on we figure out what we're going to take action on we advise them of the things we're how how we're taking action on their feedback, um, and then we publish it. Um, and so we do have already, uh, I, I say already, as of last fall, um, but going forward, it is an established policy now for everything we publish. And we're also going back and anything we reprint, we're going through all our old content as we reprint it and putting it through that same rigor. So, um, you know, when you see the the reprint of Curse of Strahd when it comes out, we have some things that we need to do to that to make it better. And we're going to do it um, based on these uh, outside experts who've advised us on this. Uh, so that's that's our approach internally. Um, and then also in the content policies coming forward, we have some some ways for the community as well to, to officially advise us of things. So it's, it's, it's both. We do it before we even publish it, get some experts, you know, and take it very seriously. And I will say the reports that I've seen, the action plans that I've seen for the things we're publishing are pretty open. I am not seeing much resistance to any of the feedback. Um, the team is uh, happy to have the feedback and excited to be able to do something 
to make the game better. Uh, okay. I, I wanted to jump in then and when ask, when did D and D start using cultural consultants for its projects? And then I guess my next question would be, why were they not using it sooner? Because I, I'm, I mean, the indication, even in what you just said, is that they didn't start until at least last fall or at the very least last year. Whereas other major outlets, including I think some of the ones that you mentioned, have been uh, when you the, the people that D and D was consulting with about the OGL 1.1 mm-hmm. were have been using and publicly openly recommending the use of cultural consultants and so forth mm-hmm. for years. Uh, why the slow movement on that? Well, we were using them. Uh, it just wasn't thorough. It wasn't that every word went past uh, a reviewer. Uh, and now the difference is every word goes past a reviewer. And in fact, every word goes past multiple outside reviewers. Uh, so there were spot reviews done of things that we thought might be problematic. Um, for example, the, the Vistani in, in Curse of Strahd have already been revised heavily once with advice of, of a cultural consultants. So we have used them in the past. Um, what we were mm-hmm. not doing is 100% with you know, at least two consultants every word we publish. That's the difference, yeah. going from some to all. Uh, like with the Hadozi? For example, there was there wasn't suspicion based on the past of that particular race that there may be some red flags to be to pay attention to. There are a couple of things that went on with that one. Um, so short version is it was not run by uh, a cultural consultant of any kind um, to, to catch that. And that partic- the, the particular uh, the, there was a particular paragraph in there that really um, made the connection that uh, to, to past depictions that we were really didn't intend to that mm-hmm. um got in there by kind of a uh an outside the normal flow thing a senior person who was very trusted wrote it and very few eyes got on it before it got into the final draft and so that was so it was two it was two breakdowns in process one we were not reviewing everything and so nobody had reviewed it and it even got in there outside the normal process so we've corrected both of those things we have uh, much greater rigor on our basic processes and we've also layered in you know, multiple independent uh inclusivity reviewers on everything we publish uh it seems to me that uh we did uh an ep- i say this because we did an episode actually about the previous version of the hadozi from like 3.5 edition and uh even <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny my dad knows nothing about D uh so i just with him i described to him the the general way that the previous version had existed uh and as i kept going his face went more and more from quizzical to uh, deeply horrified and i guess in light of that with how uh kind of undeniably the previous editions had the hadozi situated as essentially a me- parallel or metaphor for like the american slave trade it just seems like a big oversight to let one person then be responsible for writing a significant portion because it's not like the backstory was long that mm-hmm. was published in the new version to be responsible for published for writing in a specific uh a significant portion of the new lore the new official lore for the race and yeah. not having that checked over yeah that's correct uh, that, that was a mistake and it was taken very seriously and some internal actions were taken as, as a result we did take it extremely seriously uh the other thing is we, we have a D&D has a long history. It's got a long and deep lore that goes back to some pretty troubling stuff. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we're in the, a place where we want to acknowledge and bring forward some of the cool nostalgia, but also fix the broken stuff, fix the stuff that was wrong about it. And 
it's it's in that space it's very possible for somebody meaning well to make what they think is a nostalgic callback that actually dredges up with that hook a whole big wad of terrible stuff that we did not want in the in there in the first place uh so while i can understand how the mistake was made that does not mean the mistake was forgiven uh, and does not mean the mistake was not acted on um so yeah we took it very seriously and uh um it's not something that can happen again with the current structure Mm. Uh, well, I guess, uh, speaking of wizards internal structure, uh, there was, I'm sure you're aware, uh, that the popular TikTok and YouTube creator D and D shorts published a video, uh, very recently claiming to have verified insider communication from employees at wizards of the coast. And among the most disturbing, uh, leaks were repeated indications that wizards of the coast isn't a safe work environment for employees. Uh, they specifically named Chris Ko. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly as someone who routinely has uh, quote outbursts and verbally attacks employees. I can actually, I, I wrote down the quote. It says KO verbally attacked many individuals across the company. To my knowledge, almost every person he attacked has now left the company since it was clear, neither the leadership nor HR were going to do anything about it, uh, which also follows on earlier statements and leaks from past years concerning unsafe work environments and lack of diversity, uh, such as a Ryan Black's statements back in 2020, which Wizards, in fact, publicly apologized for. Uh, what are you doing as an executive to ensure that your employees of all different backgrounds have a safe work environment? So there's a, a number of things. First of all, uh, just in my personal space on my own team, the place that, where I have the most influence, uh, my approach is always to take the, the phrase that I always give people is I need good information, not good news. And what, and that, that is, that's an important thing to state and, and it's an important thing to demonstrate. It's important when someone brings me something that's a concern, my first response is thank you. I need that information in order to make things better. Uh, rather than getting defensive, rather than, you know, shutting it down, I need the information. Please give me the information. Tell me the things so that I can do things about it. Uh, and that approach permeates throughout the team. And so I think certainly now I'm not on the digital team, which is Chris Ko's team. So I can't speak for my, my actions on my team are not liable to make a huge impact on that team's work environment. It's a, you know, it's a big group and each team sort of has its own local culture. Uh, and in my own local culture on, on the, on the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, core studio team where we make all the, the books and game and stuff. Uh, it's always about being open. I have multiple conversations with the team. I have an open lunch uh, every week that people can just drop in and tell me whatever they want. And the more they see that that is actually true, that there are no reper repercussions from it. I mean, I've only been in this job for a few months, so I have to build a track record. I have to create, I can't just declare it to be safe. I have to demonstrate it to be safe. And so I'm doing that. And my intent is that over time, people will go, all right, he means what he says. When I raise an issue, he acts on it. He doesn't shut me down. He doesn't retaliate. Great. Um, and that's, I think, the responsibility of every senior leader, uh, especially if we're going to grow as a society, to keep that door open, especially to marginalized folks. And in addition, we have anonymous feedback channels whereby people can, can uh, raise issues if they don't feel safe doing so. Um, but I, I take this extremely personally. I have gotten in trouble at other workplaces for uh, maybe going too far uh, as a leader in uh, going after these things. So it's, um, 
yeah, it's not something that can be trivialized. We cannot do our best work as creators if we don't feel safe, and we cannot do our best work as members of society if we can't address the hard things. Um, I Well, you mentioned that uh, there are separate teams, and each team essentially has their own individual culture. Uh, that's fair, but is there not an overall system in place to prevent that kind of mistreatment from continuing or give employees um, reliable ways to have action taken. Because the indication, at least in the quote, is that whatever systems may be in place simply are not working. Yeah, there are systems in place for that. Um, now, I not having been in the loop uh, on exactly what was raised to whom and how that fed into the process that we have in place for addressing these concerns. I can't speak to exactly how that person's particular concerns were raised and uh, not addressed or addressed. Uh, but I can say there is a, a system in place. There are investigations that are conducted when um, you know issues like this, issues of you know uh, hostile workplace and, and harassment and those things come up. Uh, those, those are always uh, confidential by their very nature. Uh, and so I, I am not allowed to know what's going on with that, but I can say the, the, the processes exist and I have been party to some that have, uh, reached some pretty significant conclusions and, uh, have resulted in real action. So I do know that that feedback and the system that handles it does result in real action. Uh, I can't speak to what's going on, what the particular person's, um, own experience was, but I can say there is a system and I have seen it work. So uh, thinking about the lack of diversity that we mentioned earlier, one of the things that we couldn't wrap our heads, heads around when we were talking about the Hadozi is the fact that there was nobody internally who would have picked up on that kind of thing. Like the, the very fact that there has to be an external kind of audit kind of says that, you know, maybe there should be some more diversity in the company as it is do you think that's something that you can speak on like are there any plans to be more inclusive with your hiring process yeah we uh, we're pretty aggressive actually in in pursuing uh, inclusivity in our hiring process and i'm happy to say that uh, certainly in the last couple of years of hiring uh we've made a difference um on the D, &D team in particular uh, and part of that honestly is that the D, &D audience has been growing and becoming more diverse which is great because I, you know D, D players and creators exist on a spectrum, right? Every player is a creator. We make stuff up at the table. That's the whole point of the game. Um, and then, you know, hey, then maybe I'm a DM and I write a world and I want to publish a world. And eventually I'm a big, you know, uh, you know then, I'm, then I'm Cobalt Press or I'm, Cobalt Press or I'm, I'm uh, uh, Critical Role or whatever. So everybody in our community is a creator. And when we hire people onto our team, we hire from that pool of creators. And so as the pool of players becomes more diverse, so too does the pool of creators become more diverse. And that makes it more and more possible for us to hire top quality creators who are also from diverse backgrounds um, and, uh, you know, and, and have all kinds of things to bring to the table. I think in the, in the case of the Hadoos in particular, again, a, a big part of it was that our internal process also wasn't followed. So even the people on our team who would have saw, seen it didn't see that text. Um, they didn't get a chance to go, hey, that's a problem before it was live. And so that was, so we had an internal breakdown of our existing process as well as needing to get some outside eyes on it. Uh, in terms of hiring diversity, um, 
this actually speaks to one uh, one thing that Orion Black said in their statements, which is that they believed that they were essentially a diversity hire, which, look, we're all here. We're all in favor of diversity. But ultimately, I think what makes the difference in a company like this is if you have minority people in positions of power. And while I'm sure that there have been numerous hirings of people from a variety of different minorities, at least in the case of racial minorities, I've met a number of people who, including yourself, who are fairly high up in D&D, and I think every single one of them has been white. And also, I think all of them have been cis men, not to say that everybody there is a cis man, but it seems to be consistently that we have white cis men still at the top of these groups. Can you identify any specific positions of like significant power? Um, Because you got you got I mean, even on the D&D team, you still got uh, you've still got Jeremy Crawford. uh, You still got uh, Mike Merles and so forth. What can you identify any specific positions? positions that have like higher ranking positions that have been filled by people of say racially diverse backgrounds. Uh, I think if you look at the, the credits of our books, um, you'll see some lead designers there who are, are uh, not cis men. Uh, you will also see a lot of uh, primary authors on sources. Uh, these are folks who are coming up through the ranks and proving themselves and uh, earning their respect, not, because of who they are, but because of how they are as professionals, uh, which is the best kind of respect, right? You know, you don't want to be respected because you're the diversity hire. You want to be respected because you're awesome at your job. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's happening more and more. Um, this, you know, look, guys like me, we're, we're leaving uh, the workforce to be blunt. And we're also not, this is not the face of the hobby anymore. I'm not the majority of this hobby anymore. Uh, and I, I, and so it's important to me that my team of creators look like my players and have the lived experience that my players do. Uh, and I think there's been mistakes made in years past where people assumed that D&D players were all, you know, white dudes in a basement, um, which, is, which has been a faulty assumption for a lot of years and gets more and more false every day. Uh, and so it's, in my viewpoint, honestly, guys like me can't, can't leave soon enough um, for this hobby. Uh, and we owe you good games. We owe you good products. And so we need to make sure that everybody working on it is real good at it. Um, and that means not just hiring, but also developing, right? When we bring people in who are good, we need to empower them, give them more room to run, give them guidance on what we learned when we were creating stuff so that they can create great stuff too. Um, and then, you know, I always hire people smarter than me so that I can get out of their way. That's my approach. Uh, and so as, as long as we stay on this trajectory, yeah, this is this is the face of D&D will literally change. I were I know I see we're running relatively low on time so I got mm-hmm. two uh big questions that I wanted to get to. Uh the first is that many people suspect that 1D and D is going to be uh strongly it's going to be at least with the release of 1D and D there's going to be a very strong focus on digital platforms like VTTs that 1D and D could mm-hmm. In could end up being kind of what many suspect fourth edition was originally supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm sure you know, fourth edition was supposed to have a VTT that it came with it. That didn't end up happening, and that caused you know further difficulties in terms of playing the game. Uh, 
it's there's strong suspicions, especially with the announcement of the VTT in the the clips that were shown or the images that were shown in the in the announcement that one uh, D and D is going to be like a heavily online game, and that Wizards' focus is shifting more toward primarily producing online content, and that uh, I think the phrase that was used in in D and D Shorts' video is that books would then be like collector items or like special things that you could buy, uh, but that were not. Uh, key to the experience and that everything else was going to be digital in terms of physical books rather would were going to be like collector's items so our our goal is to give you more ways to play so it's and not instead uh, we're going to keep making the game as we do today uh, and that's also why we love all the work that's being done by all the VTTs out there uh, we think that's great. It's been essential for people to be able to play that way and we think that's going to continue to be true. We would also like to offer a cool looking 3D space if people want to play in that too uh, but it's not ever meant to replace. It's just meant to, meant to be additive. Here's another way you could play if you like that. Here's another way you could play if you like that. Uh, and, you know, I could certainly see if people were trying to make forward-looking discussions and might say, well, what if everybody started playing that way? Would we ever make books? And then, you know, I could see somebody saying from that, well, maybe then books would become collectibles. That's not the strategy, though. The strategy is to give you all the choice, and then we go where you're interests lie we go where your choices lie i mean we're we're here to make a game for the players and so what we want to do is put as many things on the table for you as we can and lean into the things that you like best okay uh Liv, did you have anything to jump in with before i go to the final question no i think the final question deserves a lot of time so yeah let's let's jump onto that Okay. Uh, finally, how does uh, how does D and D and Wizards of the Coast in, uh, plan on rebuilding trust with the community uh, through actions? I mean, you you behave your way out of a trust problem. You don't talk your way out of it. So, I mean, obviously, we'll have conversations like this. This is important, and talking is itself an action. I'm not denying that or setting that aside. And it's the actions that are going to count. What do we do? Uh, and that's why we started with the strongest possible action we could, which is all right. Here you go. It's in Creative Commons now. Um, Go to town. Uh, there's no clearer signal we could send about our intentions here. Uh, and uh, as more concerns get raised, we take action on them as well. So our, it is on us now to be responsive and good actors in the space. And that's so some of this, uh, some of this, our plans for the future is going to be like, well, we're going to be watching to see what y'all need um, and acting on that. Uh, you know, we want to make a game that you all want to play. And uh, that includes making it an, 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 a community and an environment where people feel happy playing, where people aren't, um, you know, uh, concerned about what's going to happen to their favorite creator or their favorite stuff down the road. So, uh, yeah, it's it, for us, it's all about actions, not words at this point. Um, and we intend to be active. Okay. Uh do you have, I guess, a, if there's a message that you could give to those who were whose trust was broken? I know that there are many within the community who have who no longer really feel comfortable playing the game because of they feel as though uh, Wizards of the Coast and D and D kind of, or at least the corporate figures in those organizations, kind of showed their hand, uh, and that there's not very much that the focus is ultimately on uh, on profits and not on the people. And not on the fans and the creators who have helped boost the game uh, to the heights that it has been and, and the heights that it has reached uh, and make the game so special. Do you have a message to those who feel uh, betrayed, essentially, by what has happened with this whole situation? Watch what I do, not what I say. And decide for yourself if what we're doing is enough for you to trust us. And either way, play your game with your friends. You don't need to 
have us at the table if you don't want to. You know, your game is for you. Um, we'll make stuff for it, and if you want it, we'll be over here making it. And you can come get it. Um, but honestly, we should not be messing up your game. You should be playing your game. You don't. You don't. Honestly, you shouldn't need to trust Wizards of the Coast to play Dungeons and Dragons. I, I, I guess is what I'd really say. Uh, so we have work to do to build back that trust. But I don't. I would hate for a lack of trust in me and our team to get in the way of you having fun with your friends. Because it's your friends didn't break this. You didn't break this. Very true. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess there you have it. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you very much, Kyle, uh, for joining us and for answering these questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's we. I guess we will see how things go on. We will continue. I can. I can assure you, we will continue to be watching uh, your actions. Uh, and and uh, I guess we will judge from there. But thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, what I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Uh, I felt like Kyle had... Uh, I get, uh, We said this just before starting to record this outro. I think it's fair to say Kyle had, for the most part... All the right answers, and I'm doing quotes around right answers. Um, I think that there were a lot of cases where he he dodged having to give answers yeah. that might have otherwise been uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. such as the questions about Chris Ko's behavior, mm-hmm. where he's like, he essentially said, "I'm not on that team." And if you notice, he never mentioned him by name. He only ever said that yeah. individual, uh, and so forth. 
which I I think was in reference to the situation with Chris. Uh, it, it seemed as though it was very much like, oh, you know, I'm just over here and all the teams Nothing are separate. to do with me. And it's like, yeah. I, but if you're... You must, you you must know. You must yeah, know. You must. This dude must have a reputation. Yeah. Let, let, yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, there were there was a, a few instances like that where there was some obfuscation. Um. But uh, yeah, we we were told not to hold back, and I don't think we did. I think that we asked every mm-hmm. question that we meant to ask. But um, I don't know. I feel like that we yeah we just didn't get straight answers particularly. Um, yeah. Which is a little bit disappointing, but um, what are you going to do, I guess? Yeah. And I think we got some straight answers. I mean, there were some things that it's like, oh, okay, this is an unequivocal statement that you're making. You're, there are currently no plans for uh, 1D&D to become its own closed system. There are no uh, plans for 1D&D to have its own new OGL. Apparently, uh, there are no like there. It's all going into the old one. OK, there's no plans for basically any of the stuff that people were freaking out about with OGL 1.1 and 1.2. OK, that's a pretty clear stance that mm-hmm. he's taking that if, in fact, down the line, we see is not true, then you know, we will be able to say, hey, that was a lie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there were specifics, uh, as you said, there were some things where it's like, okay, I, I'm glad that we at least got him to say which, uh, some, at least some of the groups that they spoke to ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting actual names, but I'm glad that you pushed on that because I don't think we would have gotten it otherwise. Um, mm. Yeah, it, 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 the, the, the answers that were given were, you know, they all made sense, but it just, it just, it makes, it's hard to believe that they went all thoroughly examined beforehand and these and like every question that we asked was anticipated and you know they yeah. had an answer set in place for each of them you know they wouldn't have done this if they didn't have that in place yes yeah um yeah they yeah um they they absolutely and actually they had asked for the questions ahead of time which we did not send them the questions ahead of time mm-hmm. uh they said that this was specifically so that they could uh i i i'm not going to quote them uh but because uh, i don't have the email in front of me but i believe they said it was so that they could make sure that they had all the information cuz sometimes people are raising legal issues and so forth and since he's not part of the legal team he can't really speak to that uh so it as yeah it could that could be the case if we take them at their <laughs> at their word then sure that was the reason why they were asking it could also be because they were trying to uh be prepared for specific mm-hmm. questions and know maybe the tone of the interview so that they could be prepared yeah. um but they didn't even need that because uh, they definitely discussed everything that we offered to them beforehand. yeah i st- I'll, i i'm with you live i remain unconvinced on a number of topics mm-hmm. uh specific basically everything about the ogl 1.1 I'm like, mm. like, okay, look, maybe there was in fact some work on a later, I don't know, mm-hmm. on later changes. That wasn't, I still, it still to me does not make sense that they could not have publicly said anything. Yeah. But I don't really know. It, it felt like, uh, and for full transparency, we only had an hour to speak with him. Yeah. We had a lot of different topics that we wanted to get to. And so we had to start making decisions about what we were, were going to push on, what we weren't going to push on, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Like if it was and that became a thing where it's like, well, he's given an answer. Like, I'm not really sure what else to say, except mm-hmm. I don't believe you. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it just felt it just felt very oh no, artificial kind it of It made the team sound really incompetent. In a number there were a number mm. of instances where his answer was basically like, "Yeah, we just didn't have it together, man." Mm. Yeah. Like it, but stated in a very uh a much more eloquent way. For sure. In roundabout way. I agree. No, uh, the, yeah, it just it just felt yeah, it felt placating in a way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, that was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a damage control interview. Yeah. Um, we have not really talked much about uh, our individual responses or our responses to show. Um, there's a there's a good chance that we will be talking more about our responses to show down the line. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel comfortable to at least say where I'm coming from. Do you want me to say first, Liv, or do you want to say where you're coming oh, from you, and where what we've ahead. talked about as a show? You go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, in my opinion, what uh, the OGL that we have and had and continue to have is like such a unique thing for a large corporation to have in place that I was amazed that it even existed. (laughs) And I, in my opinion, uh, ultimately they were, we had a great thing. We continue to have a great thing, thankfully, but they were within their rights to change it. Sure. Because it's their thing. Yeah. But the way in which they were going about changing it, the the fact that the leaked document would have given a week for creators to sign and agree to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that I still don't buy that it was a draft. No, I sure. still don't. It, it's just, yeah, to me, that's like ugh. the fact that it look, the fact that they've been working on it for years and the fact that it was posted uh, or that it, they had approached people with it indicates to me that. If there were changes to be made, they were probably going to be pretty minor. Yeah, for sure. Because why Why would they have not gone straight to the community in a mm-hmm. case like that? Yeah. I, it just doesn't make sense. No, it really uh, Sorry, yeah, you carry on. Yeah, and as such, um, I have nothing against the game of D&D. Uh, I generally believe... I get the impression, at least, that Chris may have been telling the truth. Not Chris. Uh, that Kyle. Kyle may have been telling the truth uh, when he was talking about his love for the game and so forth. I, I don't. I obviously can't know f- for sure, but it seems that he does genuinely love the game of D and D and does overall seem to have positive um, intentions towards at least uh, the game. Um, but I, my my trust in wizards of the coast and D and D as an organization is certainly shaken. And so I'm not, I'm still playing D and D like in private games. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I commend anybody who is switching. Um, I personally feel uh, I can say, uh, that one thing that is unequivocal, two things is number one, my trust in the system is broken yeah. uh, in their corporation. Uh, they have, I, to me, they have still shown their hand and now they mm. are trying to fix that. But to me, it's still going to take a lot of effort and work long, to long build time. back that trust. I'm going to need to see a lot more than even just an interview. If the things he's saying in the interview are carried through and the attitude that he brought forth in the interview is actually followed, then I'm like, great. But that's mm-hmm. going to be, that's going to need to be months to be seen. of activity or years of activity for me to really, yeah. That as you said, it remains to be seen. That is one thing. The other thing is this: it is not healthy for the TTRPG landscape to have one, uh, one giant 
game controlling Absolutely. so much of the space. And I it, it I mean, just by how big a deal this was and how many creators were affected by this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, oh, D&D makes up a section of my sales. For a lot of these people, it's like the main thing or yeah. the only thing that they do. And even on our show, it's almost the only thing that we play. Mm-hmm. And so that that tells me that it is time to start boosting, taking uh, uh, an even more proactive role in trying to boost other games and other creators in yeah. the space. And so my intention is going forward for uh, future actual plays to feature D&D less often. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so I, many TTRPGs to choose from, Jeremy. So exactly. Many. Exactly. And we already have at least one, uh, I think two, two recordings scheduled that will explicitly help promote other TTRPGs. Uh, There are a couple of of actual play things that we have already recorded, or at least partially recorded, that use D&D that happened prior to the OGL nonsense. We're going to keep those, like if it's already done recording, we're not going to re-record it. And if it's already partially recorded, we're not going to force the cast to learn a new system and then re-record the whole adventure. Mm. Uh, So that stuff will stay with D&D, but there's a good chance that a lot of other games and planned series that we had for this year, as well as uh, more one-shots that we plan, uh, will be focusing on things other than D&D yeah, down the line. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, on Dicebreaker, uh, which is uh, the channel I do in my day job, um, we've discussed, like, the idea of, like, maybe we, like, possibly would lean more into D&D, just, like, kind of overall, but then mm. it was always, like, a resounding no, because <laughs> um, like, it just it just goes to show that you can't rely on one system. You really can't. Um, and there are so many, so many out there that, you know, people really need to pay more attention to. Um, but yeah, everything you said, Jeremy, I completely agree with. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, this whole thing has been a bit of a fiasco, but at least it was a wake-up call. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's good. And I will say uh, we have had talks about the degree to which the show will be focusing on D&D content going forward, even aside from actual play. Uh, but in terms of discussion, uh, I feel comfortable to publicly say that I'm in favor of taking less of a focused role. We'll see what ends up happening. This is not me saying this is a decision. This is me letting you know, <laughs> uh, just as a creator, I guess I am in favor of not i mean we'll probably finish the class deep dive i'm I'm in favor of that but we'll see about the rest for me yeah but yeah we have one class left that's why it's just just the sorcerer (laughs) it's not the sorcerer's fault um yeah (laughs) but yeah like i got ttrpgs coming out the wazoo like you know we can we can learn other systems it's great it'll be it'll be fun yeah it's gonna be a brand new chapter for 3bh i'm very excited about it so yeah um, with that, I guess let us know what you think about this. Let us know what your thoughts are out there in, in our Discord, on Twitter, and Patreon. Let us know, because, look, we don't know everything. Uh, that's partly why it's taken us so long to respond, because yeah. we were there was a lot of waiting to see. When it first when it first broke, I was like, is it as bad as people are saying? I was waiting to hear from like lawyers and hear more details about it and 
you know, as we heard more leaks and lawyers came to weigh in, a lot of times the lawyers didn't even agree with each other or the lawyers would miss aspects that were specific to D&D, like where they're like, well, you can't you can't uh, you can't copyright rules systems. So what was the OGL originally doing? And then people will come in who actually write stuff and are like, well, actually, the the language used is something you can copyright. And that is very big to the D&D, like the whole idea of the stat block and specifics of how things are written. The style is something you can. And that is a big thing that was that people had access to that sort of thing um so yeah for me i i tend to try and be cautious because i know that jumping in and just guns a blazing on the wrong side can sometimes do a lot more harm than good for sure yeah um also worth pointing out that um the questions that we asked uh to kyle in this interview a lot of them were prompted by our page patrons and our discord members so it's Mm -hmm. worth checking those out because we do go to our community you know, uh, as uh, as a source, uh, very often. So yeah, if you're interested in yeah. that, just uh, check check them out. I'm sure there'll be links around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in fact, yeah. Not only that, there were instances where multiple people had asked versions of the same question. So I just sort of collapsed them into one. And in some cases, I would literally put in parentheses this these people specifically had wanted to know about this thing, or this many people upvoted this particular question, <laughs> uh, and that helped to boost in some cases which questions were being asked. Yeah. Uh, we had our own questions as well, obviously, yeah. but yeah. Um, uh, with that, is there anything else we need to touch on? I think we've done all we can, Jeremy. (laughs) We should do plugs, shouldn't we? Plugs, we can plug, yeah. Yeah, Liv, you got something to plug? Sure, I'll plug myself. That always sounds so weird. Um, I'm at Does Dark Magic. On on air, Liv, on (laughs) air. (laughs) It's a treat for me. Um, (laughs) I'm at Does Dark Magic on Twitter, and I'm Olivia Does Dark Magic on most other things. I'm also on YouTube now. I'm hopefully releasing a new video tonight. We'll see, maybe. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and subscribe if you'd like but also subscribe to three back half links on youtube and you can also find me on youtube.com forward slash dicebreaker if you want more ttrpg stuff that's not just D. it's all over there yeah it's great yeah, yeah. uh and uh you can follow me on twitter at jeremy cobb one that's cobb with two b's and the number one uh but you can also follow me because I've reached the threshold. I'm going to look up my username on air. I've reached 150 I, followers. Yeah. Can I tell you what it is? Because I know what it is. Please do. Yeah. It is the Cobmeister. Oh, okay. <laughs> follow me at the Cobmeister on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be posting something possibly today as of this recording or just very soon. Uh, thank you, Liv. Uh, the Cobmeister. I've been uh, l- looking at it for just like, oh, there he is. Oh, <laughs> he did I it. see you. Um, yeah, no, I, I've double checked. And it is correct. Yes, the Cobmeister. Yes. Uh, and even more importantly than following me on the Cobmeister, uh, there is a new show. It's either coming out this week or next week. Uh, I'm doing it with Andrew Coons at the First Watch, friend of the show. Uh, he has been on Three Black Halflings. I know we've done a couple of kickbacks with him that I don't think have been released yet. Uh, and I think I, we also did a Shire Folk spotlight with him that I think has been released already um, go check out the Quantum Reactor it is a sci-fi movie review show uh, we're, we've recorded I think three episodes so far we talk about Sunshine the 2007 movie we talk about everything everywhere all at once uh, the movie that came out last year
year, 2022 masterpiece. Uh, we also talk about Moon, which is a 2009 film, a uh, very, very good movie. All three of those, I would say each episode gets better as we solidify our style. Uh, but yeah, go check it out. Go follow us. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at Q Reactor Show. And I think we will also be posting to YouTube. But uh, I think actually, no, I think on YouTube, we are also Q Reactor Show. Nice. So go check that out. Yeah. Do it. Um, do yeah. it. All right. Yeah, go 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 support. Go support. Mm-hmm. Um we also we also have a Discord. I don't know where the link to that's gonna be, but <laughs> keep, stay <somewhere>. tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for that. Um yeah, with that, uh go follow the show on Patreon. Uh specifically three black halflings now. Uh patreon.com slash TB halflings if you want to uh help and get behind the scenes, help support the show, get behind the scenes stuff, get kickbacks, uh, like the one that Liv and I just recorded last week, yeah. which I thought was a great conversation that we yeah, had. Yeah, we had a fun time. We just had a nice chat and we really enjoyed it. So if you want to be a part of that, you go ahead and take a listen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at three. This is number three, Black Halflings. And I think that's just about it. We will see you all next time. So long, Shire Folk. So long, Shire Folk. Hello, Halflings. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you've made it to the end, then you know what that means. It's time for some Shire Folk shout-outs. And I'm absolutely going to get every single one of these right first try. You can't tell me that I haven't because this is edited, so let's go. A big bunch of thank yous to Kenya Hicks, Jill Paxson, Bradley Smith, Raven Note, Aki Burmis, Raquel Engen, Afternoon, Emma Rose, Chanel McCartney, Tate Horse, Kitty Height, Jacob, and Elsie Miller. Myself, Jeremy, and Jasper are so grateful to you for all your help because you literally help us keep the lights on and keep those mics recording. So thank you so much, patrons. Have a wonderful rest of your week. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>